0: Today begins a new section of our four-part Pathways series. Some of you might have your Pathways workbook, either here or at home, and there's four components to the Pathways initiative. There's a pathway to membership, a pathway to growth, a pathway to service, where we are today in our discussion, and then the pathway to giving. Those four key components are steps that we can all take toward abundant life or in our journey of discipleship. Those four steps are steps we can take to experience transformation and then to help others experience transformation as well, key steps. Uh, As we begin today, we're spending two weeks on the pathway to service, and this, this first little framework we want to think about requires four questions. The first of which is, who is it that we are called and sent to serve? Do we serve the church? Do we serve God? Do we serve our neighbor? What about our enemy? And the answer to those is yes. That's right. It's yes. The second question is, where do we serve? And the Great Commission uh, puts us in location. In all of the Gospels, and we'll look at uh, Luke's writing from the book of Acts next week, but it says, go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That tells us where to serve. How are we to serve? That's a matter of discovering one's spiritual gifts, and there's ways to do that. Each one of you who professes Christ has been given uh, a spiritual gift, and it's to be discovered and confirmed or affirmed by the church and then to be used. Whatever that gift is, we all have one. But most importantly, the fourth part, as we think about the pathway to service, is why do we serve? Why do we serve? Because Jesus said so in the Great Commission? Yes. But we serve because there are people, there are challenges, there are issues in our own backyard and in our families and in this world, that if the church doesn't take a step forward and step up and, and offer healthy models, then how will the world know that there's hope and there's joy? Who, where, how, why? Who do you serve? Where do you serve? How do you serve? Why do you serve? We have a pathway for that. That's the steps we're taking starting today. We're looking today at Mark's gospel, uh, the 16th chapter. We'll begin in verse 14, and we'll work our way through verse 20. Uh, You can take a pew Bible or the Bible you brought with you or your device and invite you as you're able to find the scripture, but also to stand for the reading, the hearing, and the blessing of the gospel lesson today. The gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ according to St. Mark. Listen for the word of the Lord. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were sitting at the table, and he upbraided them for their lack of faith and stubbornness, because they had not believed those who saw Jesus after he had risen. And he said to the disciples, "'Go into all the world and proclaim the good news to the whole creation. The one who believes and is baptized will be saved, but the one who does not believe will be condemned.' And these signs will accompany those who believe. By using my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes in their hands, and if they drink any poison, it will not hurt them. And they will lay their hands on the sick, and the sick will recover." So then the Lord Jesus, after he had said all these things to the disciples, was taken up into heaven, and he sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and proclaimed the good news everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by all these signs that accompanied it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I hope you you caught it. Uh, Jesus rose from the grave. And he went and found his disciples at a a table, and they were seated there trying to figure life out after the resurrection. And he said, go into all the world, pick up snakes, and drink poison. He dropped the mic, and he went off to let them fend for themselves. I hope you picked up on that. It's genius. It's brilliant, really. We're thinking about what it means to be sent and to serve. And how that's part of the cult not just the culture, the DNA of the church. From day one, built into, woven into the fabric of what Christ is doing in this world, is he's calling people to serve, to use his or her gifts and to serve. And sometimes we we hear that word serve or, or service thrown around enough that Maybe it loses its punch or its importance. So I need you to indulge your preacher a little bit. We're gonna do a little bit of call and response, you know, finish and complete the sentence. So indulge me on this. For example, when we think about the men and women of the armed forces, we tend to say, thank you for your service, right. Uh, If the little engine on the dash, the light comes on in your car, we say it's time to have your car serviced. You got it. you might hear something like this at one of the drive-thrus. Hi, I'm Jay. Welcome to Chick-fil-A. How may I serve you? Yes, all 1,800 of you wrapped around six buildings at this point. How may I serve you? You know, it's always police officers protect and serve, right? When, I don't know if y'all do this, but on those late night runs when you just need a sugar fix, you sneak out and you go get a McFlurry at McDonald's, and it's broken again, the machine, the McFlurry machine, you know? McSheen, yeah. And we say it's out of service, right, or out of order. Even today, you might have told somebody on social media or in your family, or you'll tell somebody this week, I went to a worship service. Yeah, isn't that an interesting pairing of words? Worship, Worship service. It's called a service because our prayers and our presence... And our, our gifts and our singing and our liturgy are ways that we serve God and give ourselves sacrificially to God. You're giving your time and your energy and your efforts right now. It's interesting to me because unlike the McFlurry machine, or Christians are, are not supposed to be out of service. The mission of the church has never been about serve us, but service. We get those flips sometimes. Law enforcement are called to protect and serve and to defend, and the church, in its service, along its pathway, are called to defend and to serve the most vulnerable among us. Sort of like Chick-fil-A, part of our story, our response to the good news is to say, I'm a Christian saved by grace. How may I serve you? (laughs) Jesus said it himself, really. He said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So as a Jesus follower, that is following Jesus along that pathway to sacrificial living, along the pathway to service, we ask ourselves, who do we serve? And where will we go when sent? And how? How will I use my spiritual gifts? But the most important question is why? Why do we serve? Just yesterday, Susan and I were... Uh, heading out to Auburn to celebrate our younger daughter's 21st birthday, and the very first stop was only a few blocks from the house. We had to get gas in the car. And so I pull up to the pump, and I go through this litany, uh, this process now that we all go through. You know, you get out your card, you put it in there, and now you have to hold it, and you wait, right? You know what I'm talking about? Type in a few numbers, and it tells you when to remove it, and then it says you can now remove the nozzle and begin fueling, which I did. I put the spout in there, click, nothing came out. Kept squeezing, nothing. Nothing was working. I kept squeezing, 10 times more. I kept squeezing, releasing. Nothing was coming out of this pump. And it wasn't charging me, thanks be to God, but it wasn't working. So I racked it, I went 10 feet forward to the next pump, went through the whole process, put the card in, told me to release it, all this stuff. And this time, the pump worked. thought a lot about that image yesterday and how frustrating it is when what you want is on the inside of something that is out of service. Don't you wonder if the world sometimes looks at Christians and assumes all things are go, I hear what you proclaim, I know, I know who you are and, and what you stand for, and I'm ready to receive what, what you have to offer, but what I know is on the inside, it's just not coming She's not coming out, because the body of Christ isn't pumping out the hope and the joy and the peace that this world needs to keep on going and to fill up its tanks. Why? Christians are never supposed to be out of service, but out serving. (laughs) That's the way the model works. And so on this day, when our children have returned from exile, and have led us so marvelously in worship through singing. You might be wondering at this point, like, why is my preacher having this long introduction about service? Well, because most everyone here has taken a step toward membership through baptism or by joining this church, this local church. And a lot of you, many of you, have taken steps and you're on the pathway to growth. You're growing in your faith through a small group, through a supper club, through a Bible study, short-term, long-term, I I, I see that. Where local churches always have room to climb and to grow is in this pathway, the pathway to service. And one of the things I want you to hear today is that every person, member, non-member, old, young, near, far, (laughs) um, talented, not so talented, sinner, saint, we all can serve somewhere. Serving is a non-negotiable for the one who is a believer. The other thing that um, you might be wondering is why your preacher selected a scripture passage about snake handling and drinking poison uh, on the day when we're talking about the pathway to service. And the answer is really quite simple. I want to see who has enough faith to take this passage seriously. So, I went to the woods yesterday and I I brought with me... No, I'm just kidding, I wouldn't do that. (laughs) That would be an interesting children's minute for two seconds, though, right? It would be. Um, Mark's version of, of the Great Commission says, go into all the world, the whole world. That's the Greek word in your title there, oikumene, go into all the inhabited world and proclaim and when you do, these will be the signs that will accompany you. You will speak in different tongues. You will cast out demons. You will pick up snakes. You will drink poison, and it will not harm you. You will lay hands on sick people, and they will get well. Now, that is a tremendous missions model. What if we adopted that? Like, what if we took all of these guests and... and prospective members on a tour, and then once they joined, they said, we're so grateful that you said all of these vows. Now, let's see how really serious you are. Here's a snake, and here's something I need you to drink. You think they'd do it? I don't think they'd do it. We'd make a headline, but our numbers would go down, right? So the answer about this, the first part of this text relating to the pathway of service is really twofold. First, I want you to keep in mind that this is Mark's resurrection story. Mary Magdalene was the first at the tomb to see that Jesus was not there. She was also the first preacher to say, He is risen, He is risen indeed. Come with me and I'll show it to you. And Mark's version says that Jesus had cast out seven demons from Mary's life. Mary had, had transformed her life and the power of the Holy Spirit had been the impetus or the driving thrust behind that. Her life was completely different. Her story was brand new. And when she went and said, he is not there, he is risen, no one believed her. We also hear the Mark's version of the Emmaus Road story where two travelers were walking about and. And as we learn uh, in Luke's gospel, they broke bread. That's how they knew that it was Jesus who was in front of them. They were at a meal table. They figured it out. And they didn't believe, the early disciples didn't believe the Emmaus road story either. So not believing the, the power of, of Mary's story being changed, not believing the Emmaus road story, Jesus shows up himself, and all the disciples are behind a the door. They're, they're at a table, and it says Jesus upbraided them. That's a big word. It can mean he scolded them. It can mean he chided them. It can mean he taunted them for their stubbornness and not believing the powerful witness of those who had seen Jesus. If we're not willing or or likely to believe the power of resurrection from the testimony of another human being's life that has been changed, then what will it take? Are we more likely to believe in picking up snakes and drinking concoctions that that that's more plausible than than somebody's story this is long before the enlightenment but the disciples are almost saying show us proof give us those signs and jesus says all right i'll give you some signs if you were here um, last sunday you heard one of these stories a story of resurrection, a story of redemption. You heard it from, from Adam Whitley and how he overcame an addiction that almost cost him his life and how now he is a cancer uh, survivor. Does anyone actually need more proof, better signs that Christ is up from the grave, redeeming people now as he did 2,000 years ago? Do we need more signs than what we heard from Adam last week? I don't. And I know your stories too. They are the convincing proofs that this world needs. Will, by handling serpents, or drinking noxious concoctions, or healing people by the laying on the hands, be any more powerful than your own story of how Christ has done and is doing something in your life? What we might actually need as a sign or what the world, let's put it this way, what the world might actually need as a sign more than snakes and poison and healing and tongues is space and time to process why life doesn't make sense. Maybe that's the sign the world needs. Space to process unbelief, space to work through pain and doubt and grief and anger. That is something that the church possesses, that space and that time for people to be people and to let God be God in their lives. Because when that happens, what we find is in that moment of our unbelief that the same Christ who did so 2000 years ago comes and sits down beside us and says, I'm right here. Let's work through this together. In the church today, There's so many dimensions of of unbelief, and they can be as involuntary as our own inhaling and and exhaling. When we pray, for example, and do not receive exactly that for which we pray, we we get mad and we start doubting Jesus. And we say, well, you know, I put my quarter in the Zoltan machine. I'm supposed to get my wish in return. It's almost like Santa Claus theology. Or we identify American Christianity with power rather than looking at the places of poverty and places where hunger exists, those are the places where Jesus took up a lot more time and is already at work. We fear and we submit to the powers of this world rather than keeping our eye on the prize. And that comes, in my estimation, from something that we read in Philippians chapter 2. We talk about Jesus who, taking the form of a servant, humbled himself, To become obedient, even to the point of death. Who do we serve like that? Where do we serve like that? How will we serve like that? And why will we serve like that? Symptoms of our unbelief begin manifesting themselves in our attitudes and even in our priorities. It causes us to pause, or should, and say, well, what does it even mean to believe? What does it mean to believe in in the power and the presence of resurrection? It's it's not easy to believe in that. It hasn't been easy to believe in that for 2,000 years. And so some element of good news is beginning to surface in this text that our unbelief, our skepticism even, is part of a 2,000-year-old family narrative that sometimes leans more into signs and wonders than it does testimonies about change. But here's the thing, something that Dr. King and something that Mother Teresa said are so on point. Dr. King said, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your your subject and verbs agree in order to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. And Mother Teresa said, and she wrestled greatly with her own unbelief, she said, at the end of life, we will not be judged by how many diplomas we have received, how much money we have made, or how many great things that we have done. We will be judged by I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I needed clothing and you gave it to me. I was homeless and you gave me a place to get back on my feet. Since that is the case, what I want to ask you to do now for the next few moments is just lay two things alongside one another. Unbelief and commission. Those are two themes, unbelief and commission, because I think those two things are congruent. They're they're just typical of, of any disciple of Jesus Christ, we we all find ourselves in moments of unbelief, but what does it mean that we serve a God who sends us nonetheless? And here's where I'm going with this, because Mark tells us about the kind of Jesus we serve, that Jesus does not wait for us to have our unbelief figured out, our theology figured out, our priorities figured out, or life itself, and all the stuff that has accompanied us in the past. We don't have to have all of that figured out before Jesus entrusts us with the mission. Think about it. A clueless, an obstinate, and indifferent group of first disciples still received the word that Jesus was, was risen and they didn't do anything about it and Jesus had every reason just to start afresh. You know, it's, it's resurrection, it's day eight as we say, it's resurrection, I'll just start over. These disciples, they just don't get it you've heard me say about Mark's gospel. If you're reading Mark's gospel and you follow the disciples thinking they'll point you to Jesus, they won't. They'll point you to this wall. If you want to know how to get to Jesus in Mark's gospel, you have to go look for the least and the last and and the lost, those whose stories have been changed. Isn't that powerful? A powerful image. So Jesus comes to this group and says, you know, you're not believing anything that's being told to you. But despite that unbelief, go. Go into all the world and proclaim the good news. And I will contend even that our unbelief is the very fertile soil into which the seeds of of salvation must be planted and grow the best when nurtured and watered by the Holy Spirit. If we're willing to move from unbelief to belief, by believing that God can use our story and our hands and our feet and our abilities and our different abilities and even our inabilities, then in that moment we're ready to hop on the pathway of service and follow where the Great Commission leads us. Second, the last thing I'll say is what are we to make of all these these strange signs that will accompany our, our going I know just a few hours north of us, there, there are traditions in the foothills of the Appalachians that actually do handle snakes. They pick them up and they handle them, to which I say, nope, Lord, don't ask me. I'm not doing it. Find me something, find me something else, right? No rattlesnakes for me. Maybe they have more faith than me. I'm not going to see. I'm not going to see that in person, right? There's YouTube. I can watch it there. So here's my take about some of these signs. If we wanna find where Jesus Christ is at work in the community, then we have to look at the places where venomous snakes are striking the heels of the most vulnerable among us. I've been thinking a lot this week about, for example, a single mom on a fixed income trying to figure out how to buy food and how to afford school uniforms and how to work so hard two, three jobs to, to provide something that their kids can have that'll be just like everybody else. And lo and behold, here comes this, this piece of plastic that has a strip and a chip. And it can become like a venomous snake. Once she swipes it, the interest rates are so high that that toxic venom, is, it just, it affects her whole family. And it doesn't stop there because each monthly payment, then it becomes like a constrictor and it just squeezes. So if we wanna find where Jesus is at work, we have to look for the places that the snakes are biting the heels of the most vulnerable. The fangs of racism latch onto God's people and they paralyze our spiritual nervous systems. Anger strikes and jealousy strikes and hate, oh, it hits hard, doesn't it? And bitterness harbored against someone else is like being injected over and over And over, and it takes over the mind, and it takes over the body, and it takes over the priorities, and it takes over every aspect of life. But we're just waiting on the church to step forward on that pathway and to pick up that snake and say, No more will you strike at the heels of the most vulnerable single moms and those who are oppressed among us. I will not allow that to happen on my watch. So I'll pick up that snake. Who do we serve? where will we serve, how will we serve, and why will we serve? I also think, I've just been processing the other one that, where he says you'll cast out demons, that's another sign. I believe with all of the energy in my body that the church of Jesus Christ has the capacity and the ability to reach out and help with the demons of mental illness in our community And we can do that by taking someone's hand and pointing them to clinicians at the Samaritan Center or wherever else health is provided and say, I'm right here with you. I won't let that snake bite you. I won't let that demon possess you. We're going to get you some help. And we all have the gift of tongues. And I don't mean purely the Pentecostal sense of ecstatic utterances. I mean an an entirely different kind of language, one that's universally understood it's called kindness, and it combats hate and bitterness. It's an alternative language. We have another such alternative language when the world tells us that we must be on that side of the aisle or this side of the aisle, and we become someone's enemy or we call them an enemy. We have another language called listening. It's not even, it doesn't even require speaking. It just requires listening to someone. And when we do that, we take our steps forward. And those are the signs that accompany the mission of Jesus Christ in this world. So where I'm going with all of this is as we think about our unbelief and that through all of that, not having to have life in order, Jesus still sends us and and commissions us. All of these signs and these wonders that will accompany it, they're, they're really this, I think. They're really signs of boldness and courage and understanding, and speaking, and listening, and healing. And so I just encourage you to look for those signs and to be those signs in the world. When you do, you'll find yourself on this pathway to service. Jesus might just be there beside you. I know he's ahead of you, even as we follow the cross of Christ and the light of Christ back out into this world today. Who do you serve? Where will you serve? How will you serve? Do you know why we all serve? Thanks be to God. Amen.